Hello and welcome to The Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. I'm Harvey Asher, a sexaholic. Hi, everyone. Hi, Harvey. Hi, Harvey. Hi, Harvey. Hi, Harvey. Hi. This is not a typical essay meeting. That's why I called it a kind of sharing event. Uh, Welcome to my home. I'm now living in Naples, Florida, and this is my study uh, in here. Um, I'm so glad to have you in my home. You know, we all tend to isolate, and we know so much about our insides and our thinking, but we know so little about each other. This it is an anonymous program. So I've asked people to put the country they're from up and um, the city if they'd like. Uh, so far, we have at least one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine countries that I've been able to keep track of represented today. Uh, And it all came about just the past few days after I've sent this out. I want to tell you, open for a moment with a uh, moment of silence. And during this moment of silence, if we could take in three deep inhales and three deep exhales. And let's do the serenity prayer. And you could unmute yourself and we could do it together. God. 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 To accept the things that I cannot change. To change the things that I can't change. To the wisdom to the different Wow. Can you feel the whole world? Man. Can you imagine a higher power who has Zoom for the entire multi-universes? If we could do this, can you imagine a power that we can't imagine that's beyond time and space what it is doing? Awesome. Okay. Well, a few weeks ago, uh, one of my sponsees, uh, once a week, we 
have a sponsee get-together on Zoom. One of my sponsees said, Harvey, you, you need to do something. <laughs> and I just flipped him off. <laughs> Fear, whether it's selfishness, who knows? Flipped him off. Last week, he casually said it again. And out of nowhere, I said, okay. And the moment I surrendered to what someone else was requesting, to go out of self, because I don't do well when people tell me what to do. I'm a rebel. Once I surrendered to this man's request, who happens to be here now, and let's thank Malcolm if he gets embarrassed or not. I'll always make an amend afterwards, <laughs> all because I'm out. Yeah. And the moment I surrendered, this thought came to me. Harvey, you have written 13 articles in the essay magazine. You've never really had feedback. Why don't you do an article a week, share it or read it, and then let people do a Q&A over that article? And it felt right. I only put six weeks on Excuse me. I just saw the participants. We already have a hundred people. Yeah, it's full. They can't handle anymore, so or it'd be more. What God used Malcolm to let me do this and we get a hundred people within a couple of days. Now, so I decided i do this. And also I just, we decided not to make this a formal essay meeting, but basically a chat. There are 13 articles. If this works, I will extend it beyond October 28th. I have uh, left a, uh, it's an error on the sheet, but the 28th of October is on forgiveness. And I'll extend it six, seven more weeks if we need to uh, for the other articles. Today, we're going to do an article that I wrote in, nine, in 2002. I can't believe 18 years ago. Now, I want to give you a little background of the miracle of this program. I'm dyslexic. I do not write well. I spell poorly, and I don't write 
easily. Speaking comes much more natural for me than writing. And I was traumatized. <laughs> In 2002, things were going on, and I knew I needed to write something about this topic. And I was so tense about writing it, I asked someone to edit it or look at it. And I wrote it, and this unbelievable reaction came. I started being asked all over the country and the world to speak on this one topic. I really kept a semi-low profile in recovery. And all of a sudden, I was asked to speak about this article. Now, why was this article so important for me? For two reasons. And I'm going to give you this history for the future. <laughs> At almost 81, we might as well have this out. There was such an unbelievable preoccupation in this fellowship over gay, straight marriage. It was like a political issue. People would argue back and forth and scream and yell and get upset about what is the definition of marriage? That's all anyone spoke about. And in 202, I said, I have enough. This is not our problem. The problem is not what is the definition of marriage. It's an issue. It's an important issue. But that's not what's destroying our fellowship. The, the real issue is what is the definition of sex with self? It was a decoy, a detour, a scapegoat if we only talked about the issue of marriage, which was not really affecting most places. It was a way to never have to look straight in the eye of what is sex with self. And our definite, it says, you know, about sex with self. It's a bottom line sobriety and no sex outside our marriage. Bottom line sobriety. And no one was ever talking about. And I was determined to get us to start talking about it. Interestingly enough, a year before our founder Roy died, and by the way, many people who were new in the fellowship 
do not realize it was Roy Kay from Simi Valley, California, who started the SA Fellowship in 1976. It started to take off in 1983. I came in in 1984. And it was Roy who wrote the essay book and essay recovered. And uh, Recovery Continues book. Roy Kay, he died some years ago. Now, This issue was an important issue, and this is what I wrote. It will take me about five minutes to read it. As most of you know, I never read. I just talk. I ask God to talk for me, and I just go for it. But this time, we're going to read it right out of this, out of the essay. This was so moving in the fellowship to question this that they put this in the book Tools, I think Tools of Recovery. Hey, Walter, good to see you. This was written in 2002. And therefore, you'll hear my sobriety date is 18 years. Uh, I have 36 years and six months of sobriety, one day at a time. Here we go. At the time this article was, no, here we go on this page. Over the years, I've become more aware of how many people in our fellowship has limited the term sex with self to mean masturbation to orgasm. I believe this is a problem. I could never consider limiting the definition to merely meaning meaning masturbation to orgasm. In our fellowship, isn't sex with self touching yourself for the purpose of sexual stimulation with or without an orgasm? Isn't sex with self watching internet pornography for the purpose of self-stimulation. Isn't sex with self any act one does while alone with a motivation for sexual stimulation? Those people who wonder why they repeatedly relapse might consider that they have never really gotten sober. Yes, they stopped masturbating to orgasm, but nothing else changed. Some continued stimulating themselves 
but not to orgasm. Others continued watching internet pornography, and others live in sexual fantasy while letting themselves become aroused. If this is not sex with self, then what do we call it? I call this behavior sex with self. Is it not analogous to the situation in Alcoholics Anonymous when years ago people would call themselves sober in AA while still smoking marijuana? Although nothing officially deals with this situation in the AA big book, the general feeling in meeting rooms, to the best of my understanding, is that these people are not really sober. What is the solution? Do we itemize each form of sex with self? Do we define it specifically for each other? Do we merely continue to ignore this problem as a fellowship? and just say it is part of progressive victory over lust? No, I do not believe these are the solutions. I believe the solution is in the statement, to thine own self be true. Our top plates are revealed as we become more honest with ourselves. We then discuss those top plates with our sponsor. We say something like this, I do such and such behavior to sexually stimulate myself. This is a form of sex with self. If I do this behavior again, I will call it a loss of my sobriety. For some, it might be so obvious that they know their sobriety has already been lost. Either way, this behavior needs to be confronted and not swept under the carpet of denial. Lately, I've been hearing the term technical sobriety. I have heard stories where people say, I have this much time of technical sobriety and such and such length of time sober from internet pornography. I do not believe this is being honest with ourselves. Is our behavior sex with self or isn't it? How will people want what we have if we are not willing to get honest with ourselves concerning our own sexual sobriety? I do not have all the answers. However, this is definitely an area where more is being revealed. I merely know what has worked for me for over 18 years of sexual sobriety. What has worked is for me to have a clear definition of sexual sobriety concerning sex with self that is more than merely masturbation to orgasm. Let's begin to talk about this subject at all levels of our fellowship. Let us search for a language and application of our principles that will help us help one another move out of denial 
a denial that can keep us from experiencing the full freedom of mature sobriety. Let us bring light to this subject and let us truly face what is sex with self. A few years, that's the article. A few years ago, before Roy died about a year, I asked him after a conference, said, Roy, why did you leave the definition sex with self so vague? And he shocked me. He said, because this is not a religion. We cannot dot every I. We cannot know enough about the other person to say dogmatically, this is sex with self, this isn't sex with self. And what uh, is the core of our program? It's getting honest with ourselves. It's the first paragraph from chapter five in the big book. By the way, our basic text is not the essay book. Roy talks about essay literature and about the literature of our program. It's the AA book is the basic text. <coughs> Roy assumed you knew the first 164 pages. How did Roy get sober? There was no essay book. <laughs> he wrote it. He got sober through the AA principles. And when I came into the fellowship, the essay book hadn't been written yet. I was sober a year till it basically came out. So here we are. Here we are with a subject that rarely gets talked about. Now, I was in Europe, I think it was Europe, maybe in Belgium, I'm not sure. And I asked that question about watching pornography, letting yourself get all worked up. <laughs> and I said, what do you call it if it's not sex with self? And someone yells out, fun. <laughs> I call it waterboarding. And worse, from then to get around and not have an orgasm is a very, very uncomfortable situation. And lo and behold, it does not last very long where the spontaneous orgasms come out anyway. 
people will say, well, I was just looking at this pornography. All of a sudden, it happened. <laughs> I see smiles. You know, we're all sex drunks. And we make believe we have these virgin ears and we walk on eggs like we can't talk explicitly to each other. Man, the crap I have done. Who are you kidding? And if I get drunk over something you've said, I was going to lose my sobriety that day anyway. You can't make me act out. It's a myth. And Roy confronts that myth. In the 18-wheeler, he talks about, maybe it's not the 18-wheeler, always check me out. I make this, these stories up as I go along. You know, I'm a sex addict. I think it's in the 18-wheeler. But he calls it like the athlete's foot of the brain. It only grows in dark places. If we can't say this stuff to each other, who can we say it to? This is our disease. It's not a shame issue. I was watching a history documentary about Constantinople today. And all of a sudden, some woman's naked breast showed up. <laughs> I can't run away from this stuff. It follows me. <laughs> but I learned a lot about the Battle of Constantinople. <laughs> In 1451, <laughs> what did I do? I immediately used a form of the essay salute we did in Nashville. I raised my hand immediately. I fast-forwarded it. Why? My motive was not to see a breast. Now, how can we say we can't define it for each other? Because what is pornography for one person is not pornography for someone else. For someone just, well, just looking at a newspaper for models in underwear is pornography. For someone else, it has to be nudity or actions. So to say you can't look at a newspaper, no, that's not a problem I have. But for someone else, it's a major problem. It is pornography to them. To thine own self be true. So helping with your sponsor's help to make some bottom line sobriety based on your truth. 
not on what he tells you, but what you know that you could tell him. I'm going to end with some of this and then do the Q&A. I'm an equal opportunity employer. Man, do I love sex with women. But I love sex with men too. What can I tell you? You name it, I've done it. My sponsor is purely heterosexual. He has no problem, let's say, or my sponsors or other people in the program, going into a health club and showering where there are naked men. No, that's a loss of my sobriety if I do that. If I purposefully do that, unless there was no bathroom anywhere and I I was stuck somewhere and that's all there was with the bathroom and I'd have to figure something out. He wouldn't know that. I had to make that a bottom line sobriety for me. Also, I was a, I sexually abused my wife in frequency. Part of my sexual sobriety, of my bottom line sobriety, is if I ever had sex with, if I ever have sex with my wife and have two orgasms on the same day, that's a loss of my sobriety. Now, other people don't have that problem. It's my issues that I have to get in touch with. So on that note, it, it please, uh, on man, what happened? God did for us what we can't do for ourselves. There's 124 people on. I thought I had a limit of 100. Oh, my God. (laughs) So. We raised it with your credit card on file. (laughs) (laughs) Well, my ego will say it's worth it. (laughs) By the way, the joy of living is our code. If I cannot laugh at me, Man, am I in trouble. Now, in the participants, there's a little thing where you can raise your hand. And one of the co-hosts, can you be responsible for calling people who have a question with their, who have raised their hand? For sure. Unmute yourself. We have a question that came up in the chat, which is a, which is a great one, um, where uh, the person asked if it would be fair to say that for some, lust in the bedroom can perhaps be a form of sex with self in which two people are together, but one or both is actually in the fantasy of their mind having sex with themselves. Next week, tune in. <laughs> the subject, the article I wrote is... Lust is the problem. So we'll talk about that next week. So there's another question. Um, uh, the person said that the Sex with Self article has been a very big help for them. 
one of the questions was how to apply this without becoming overly scrupulous. Um, I would like that person to mean to talk about what they mean. This is a mutual chat. What do they mean by being overly scrupulous about this? So they can raise their hand if they want to if they want to go into that afterwards. So we have a question from Dennis. Dennis, you wanted to ask a question? Yes, thank you, Daniel. Uh, thank you, Harvey. I appreciate this topic a lot. Um, I've been sober six years now, and I've never touched myself physically, not even once. But I have walked into a restaurant with my guard down, or not a restaurant, but a coffee shop. And I was drunk with one look. I mean, I was seriously drunk, ready to leave the program. Um, so the question is, if I reset my sobriety, at least in our lineage, then I no longer can sponsor. I step down from all my service positions, and that scares the heck out of me that I no longer sponsor. So the sobriety date, I don't care about, but I don't ever want to go back. And so, you know, uh, where do I go from there? What do I do with that? Beautiful question, Dennis. So I'm going to read you from that article. Okay? This, this is such an important question. It's called, don't do retroactive sobriety, losing your sobriety. Learn from the crucible of the, your experience and then make it for the future if it, you do it again. Okay? So let me read that to you. We say something like this. I do such and such behavior. I'm going to paraphrase. This is a, a form I feel of sex with self. If I do this behavior again, I will call it a loss of sobriety. Okay. We'll go into this later on. There's some behavior I do, did in my marriage bed. We're not talking about my lust now. We're talking about actions. That every time I did it, I got uncomfortable. And so what did I do? I do it again. And then I get uncomfortable again. <laughs> I had to say to myself, if I do that behavior even one more time, I will then call my sponsor. He knew about it anyway. I will then call my sponsor and say, I want to put this on my bottom line. Okay. Roy's great concepts, I think he was divinely inspired with that term in the crucible of our experience. If you end up being technical, you will lose the concept of comfort. What's the program really about? Getting comfortable. We act out because we're restless, irritable, and discontented. 
So if our goal is comfort, then we work with our sponsor and make some fences. I need fences. Okay? What do I mean by that? If waitresses are a trigger, then I need to walk into a restaurant with my head down and let's say not make eye contact with my waitress. If it happens, it happens. But I know my motive. This is all about motive. Because many of us have had wet dreams. Jess, in his wisdom, if you've heard some of Jess's talks, Jess would say, a wet dream is proof of recovery. Because none of us had wet dreams growing up as we were too busy masturbating. <laughs> Who ever got a wet dream? Um, by the way, there are certain things. Physiologically, men are going to have erections. Women have their own things, but for a man, you're going to have an erection. Especially at night. Many people in this program get erections in the middle of the night and they finish it off. Because they get frightened. They say, well, it's happening anyway. Usually erections at night for most men mean you got to take a piss. They're piss erections. But sex addicts can't cunt comprehend they're from urinating. You get up and you go to the bathroom. Now, I cannot sleep on my stomach. Believe it or not, I'll be 81 in October. I still have to be careful. <laughs> I can't sleep on my stomach. I can't even sleep on my side without making sure my private area isn't touching the mattress because I'm powerless. People can't comprehend the concept of powerlessness. It's so simple, but people won't accept it. So it's in the crucible of my experience that the freedom comes. Okay. Next Remind, reminded to everyone that we're recording the questions and answers as well. Uh, so we have a question from Moshe W. from South Africa. Hey, Moshe, sexaholic. Um, yeah, I have a question which is in general about, you know, um, perfectionism related to this. You know, I had a, um, for me, like, the incident that's, that's top of my mind is I was reading something which wasn't really uh, sexual, um, just a book that, that had a valid purpose, but I started reading it and I became sexually aroused and I still carried on reading it. And afterwards I felt very uncomfortable and lustful and I, I went to go speak to my sponsor and I was like, should I make this part of my sobriety definition? And he said to me, 
that he doesn't think so. He doesn't, he thinks that's perfectionism. He said to me that, you know, as you get sober, you become more and more um, free of lust. And, and you, and I guess, progressive victory over lust. So, so what are your thoughts on that? You know, you mentioned like, I shouldn't be asking my sponsor. I should tell my sponsor. So I'm just wondering about that. Thanks. Yes. Um, I, when I first got sober and we would do the third step together in a circle on our knees with each other, I'd get aroused. And I remember calling Jess saying, what the hell's wrong with me? I don't want to have sex with these people today. I had no fantasy. I got aroused. And he said, yeah, Harvey, <clears throat> you can't handle intimacy. Everything goes to my genitalia. One day I figured it out. I had to go to the East to figure it out, not <coughs> physically, but reading. My pelvic chakra is screwed up. My pelvic energy center is screwed up. All my energy centers is screwed up. Everything gets stuck in my pelvis. Once I figured that out, I guess I was six or seven years sober because I couldn't meditate or sit quietly without getting aroused. Once I figured it out, I was able to see it's just energy. And I learned to put my two feet flat on the ground and picture that energy, not try to make it go away. The more you make it try to go away, the more aroused you get. I let it flow into the ground. Or I imagined that energy going into my heart chakra. It works. The thing that doesn't work is to say, oh my God, I got aroused. I'm an evil person. I'm not working my program well. I might as well give up and finish it off. <laughs> That's what the addictions whisper. But it's just an arousal. If arousals went in from the brain the frontal part of our brain, then how the hell do rabbits do it? <laughs> We're just, my sponsor would say, Harvey, why do you make a big fuss out of some of this? Even rabbits do it. You know, guys are so afraid they're not going to get aroused with their wives that they feel they better do pre-fantasies when rabbits do it, there's no big deal. It just happens. So you're, the answer to you is to thine own self be true, which means what is your intent? 
what is your motive? It's all about motive. It's not about behavior. It's about motive. In Europe especially, you can't hardly, I was there last time, what, three, four years ago. You can't go anywhere hardly without posters. Women are naked and things are up there. But my motive isn't to go see nudity. It just is. And in this series of talks, hopefully, and going through the article, we will see in many different topics the importance of what is my motive. What is my motive? Okay, next question. Dennis F. in Long Island. Hey, guys and ladies. Dennis from Long Island, sober since July 23rd, 2015. Harvey, I know there's no handbook on sponsorship, uh, but I've been to meetings where, in the beginning, when you give your sobriety date, guys will say they're sober for two or three years and then share about how they've watched pornography but have not ejaculated. Now, why, not why, I guess it's okay with some sponsors that maybe the definition, like you said, is vague. Um, I don't want to say, how is that okay? But yet I see it happening all the time. All the time. All the time. That's why we have not very good statistics. <laughs> when I shared your article in a Saturday morning meeting, there was 40 guys there. There was complete silence. And some guys were even angry with me afterwards and said, how could you bring that, you know, how could you say that? Um, so it is an issue still. Um, but my sponsees know the way I stand on it. And um, I follow that article from 2002. Thanks. I ask my sponsees when they're in vague areas, uh, to pray about it and write their definition of sobriety. Um, I can't be sure of anything except what is my sobriety. I've had to learn that there are a lot of side issues here that I'll never quite understand. Like that the majority of people will, in SA will never accept the disease concept. They're still doing the morality concept. But that's the reality. And God lives in reality. So I've had to learn to do one thing as well as I can, to set an example. That's all I could do. 
Because otherwise the other people either fall out or they keep repeating. And don't forget, not everyone who comes to SA are sex addicts. Sex addicts cannot survive very well relapses. Their disease always progresses. They end up covered up, locked up, or sobered up. But many people come to this fellowship who are sexual abusers, not sex addicts. The AA and AA, they call it the real alcoholic versus other stages. So I've had to learn the program helps many people. And I've also had to learn not to get judgmental about it. Because I'm a very judgmental person. Do it my way or it's the wrong way. That's why I keep going back to thine own self be true. There are many people who have very great difficulties at night when they're fast asleep, form of sleepwalking and all. I've had to say, hey, this isn't quite like doing things in the daytime. Um, other people have been real good. They've been about their program, really sober. They start dating. And they kiss the gal, and they get a spontaneous ejaculation. Their motive wasn't to have sex with the woman. It wasn't to do anything. And poof. So I have to leave many things alone. Because if you've lost your sobriety, you will know it pretty soon. <laughs> Thanks, Harvey. Okay. And let me just say one more word about that. You can't fool around with this stuff. Because there's so much playing around the borders until you just actually relapse. And there... So I do want to say, of... The year I came in, there is no one left. I've seen thousands of people come and go. Uh, in Nashville, I'm now living in Naples past few months, Naples, Florida. But in Nashville, we have uh, quite a few people with over 35 years, with 30 years, over 25 uh, but our statistics aren't real good. And I'm going to give you a little history about it. Many of you will call me about the accountability groups and this thing and that thing that Roy started over the years. I think Roy was seeing that there was a problem. And he started over the years trying to shift gears. In Nashville, we never followed anything else but the original program. And we have a massive recovery. And 
in, in Nashville now. Many mean, and most of you all know. I'm no longer there, but my heart's there. What did we do? We stuck with the principles and traditions and steps of AA. This is very clear. Love and tolerance is our code. Sponsors could start getting confused and think they're life managers, or they could get confused and think they're God. I've done it many times. Or you could change that person. Nah. All we do this for, and why am I doing this? To stay sober one more day. We do our service work. Okay, we have time for a few more questions. Um, David Israel. Thank you. Um, thank you for the opportunity to ask. Thank, thank you, Harvey. I uh, would like to ask, I'm pretty new to the program, and the program asks me to be honest with myself, and I find myself, I know that I'm very hard on myself, and I'm not honest with myself, so it's kind of like weird for me to ask myself to be honest with myself, like, let's say my head tells me that I'm powerless over porn, and I don't know, running away from my emotions, but let's say actual sex with women, I'm not powerless. And to, for me to define my, my sexual, I don't know, relapses is very hard. I just find it very hard to be honest with myself because every time I'm trying to set a boundary, I'm like, am I doing it because I'm really powerless over it? Or am I just being hard on myself? I hope I make myself clear on that question. That's kind of like number one. And the second, which I'm not sure if it's off topic, is that I find myself really powerless over meaningless, emptiness. I'm very, very empty. I feel like my life has no purpose, no meaning. If you have any experience or something to share about that, how can I help? Thank you. Wow, thank you. By the way, that emptiness is a gift. Our ego is always so busy talking. That emptiness is that still small voice, that whisper. The breath work, that's where you'll find your God. We're so programmed to think God is there, and we're here. It's called du duality. But it, he's here, and it's in that emptiness. So don't get frightened of it. Just breathe into it. When you do that, you will get more in touch with your truth. And in the crucible of your experience, you will find your truth. No one can tell you your truth. This will rebel. 
That's why we do steps. We write our inventory. We do our step work. It's to get the ego smaller. And then the God becomes bigger. Whatever that means. Okay? Now, we are powerless even about our character defects. No matter how many fourth steps you do, no matter how many tenth steps you do, no matter how you discover your character defects, you cannot make them go away. That's why we have the sixth and seventh step. We acknowledge, God, you take them. I can't change. You do it. Whatever God means to each of us. But as we know, Bill W. had a problem with that word, God. If you notice, he didn't put it in the first step. He didn't put it in the second step. He finally conceded and put it in the third step, and then he wrote, as you understand it. It's this power that is beyond us that is bigger than anything we could conceive of that we're experiencing at this meeting. So we end up getting in touch with our truth. And if you think I knew my truth when I first came in, Man, it took a lot of near misses that first year or two for me to say, uh-uh, Harvey, that's not going to work for you. In the crucible of our experience. Progress, not perfection. Once you become perfect, You've lost God because you become God. And for those of you who want to do it perfectly, I wish you well. But it's through our imperfections that we connect with each other, not through our perfection. Okay, do we have time for one more? Ideally, and also we've got one, one written question as well, so if we can squeeze two in, that's okay. perfect. But here's Ilya. Ilya, go ahead. By the way, please tell me when the time is up because my computer started 15 minutes earlier, so I don't know when the hour is up. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's uh, the hour's up, but, you know, it will, it, unless you officially set it as an hour, you could make it an hour and 10-minute meeting. I mean, there's no official time to it. I could, but then it, it could just, let's do one more question. Okay, so we addicts have terrible problems with boundaries. So Ilya didn't, didn't uh, come up with a question in the answer. Hey, I have, I, I have, if Go it's ahead. okay. Yeah, I'll, I'll make this question short and to point. Thank you the service 
want to ask Harvey, many times you've mentioned that, um, you know, there were years when you first started the program, I don't know if you mentioned this talk or not, but there were certain parts of town you would avoid because it was just bad for you. It was just something would happen. And uh, you mentioned this talk that even with, with all your years of recovery and age, you still avoid, like, I think you said sleeping on your back or something like that. I guess, how do you, I know it's that I own self be true, but maybe you could sit more inside. How do I be true myself that after a couple of years, I could go to, let's say in your case, to this town, but after many years, I still can't do that, you know, like just some more uh, emphasis on that. I pretty much work the same program I worked 36 years ago. Nothing much has changed. The danger in this program is to think you get cured or well. My need is to always prove I'm still sick. Most people start doing very well in this program and their brain starts saying, wow, look how well you are now. You could take that second little look. You're so much better. No, I have a chronic progressive fatal disease. I'm as sick today as I was 36 years ago. I'm less free today. I don't want to act out. I don't want to masturbate. But it's all bullshit. This let me stop coming to these meetings and doing service work in six, eight weeks, it will start creeping in. Who am I kidding? How do I know? Bessie, you're, you're, I don't want to invite you to my dreams, but wow. <laughs> my dreams are still wild. And you know, I still notice the triggers. I don't take second looks. The room doesn't change like it used to, but man, do I still notice trigger. Okay? I want to end with this thought that I've said, many of you have heard me, how nothing changes in this program. Before I came into the program, all I wanted to do was seduce people to sex. I wanted to only be around people who spoke about sex. And all I wanted to do was hear about sex. 36 years later, what's happening? I'm still seducing people. But into recovery, not for sex. I'm still a seducer. And what do I do almost most of my day? I hear about sex. <laughs> and what do I do? Talk about sex. And it's what Bill W. talks about. We're okay people. It's just the direction it took because of my damaged brain. This God doesn't make shit. 
we are good and worthwhile human beings worthy of recovery today. Okay, next week we'll be talking about lust. Other topics are going to be on forgiveness, on sex and marriage, on back to the basics, just basic tools that help people and myself, many different topics. And I'm so glad you came and have a wonderful, healthy uh, week ahead and be well. I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve. Thank you.